Hi, welcome to Prayer House Online. I'm so glad that we're able to connect with you. If you are here for the first time, a special welcome to you. If you listen to the Prayer House podcast channel regularly, I'm so glad that you're back here listening to our next episode. In a few moments, Paul is going to be sharing with us. But before we jump into that, can I just remind you about something you may or may not have heard about the Prayer House Prophetic Community. What is the Prayer House Prophetic Community? The Prayer House Prophetic Community is something that we've set up so that uh, it's a space where we get to learn together as a community of people on how to hear from God, right? That's prophetic in the most simple terms. Being prophetic, we believe, is the gift of being able to hear from God. We're going to have multiple sessions throughout the year where we learn together as a community, we learn together as a group, and our first meeting for this year is on the 9th of March. On the 9th of March, I only ask one thing, that you think about this, but also if you're planning to come, please let us know. Please let us know. You can email us at connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's connect at prayerhouse.uk. That way we know you're coming and we can be prepared for that. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. And that is God's heart for every single one of us. His desire is that his children, his sheep, his disciples know how to hear his voice. And that's the vision for our prayer house prophetic communities that we learn how to hear God's voice and we feel so much safer when we do it together as a group when we learn in community so come along think about it pray about it let us know you're coming and we'll see you there the best way to stay in touch apart from emails is also social media so if you're not following us on Facebook and Instagram that's a great place to start we put updates there to let you know what's happening during the week and what we're up to so it's just a great place to get to know more about the vibe and what's going on and what's coming up as well so do um, follow us on social media Facebook and Instagram and if you have any prayer requests and anything like that you want to get in touch touch with us about just email us at connect at prayerhouse.uk. Why don't we pray before we hear from Paul? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that you give us means of connecting with each other, be it in person or online. And Father, I pray for every single one of us here today that as we listen to Paul speak, Lord, that it would inspire us, that it will bless us, that it would touch our hearts and it would draw us closer to Jesus again. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Before we um, share communion, I would just like to look at a couple of scriptures because I think it's really important to keep pressing in and we want to know Jesus better. I I realise this morning that when we stand before God, on that final day, whenever that is, whether it's the final day of our lives because we've just died, or whether it's because Jesus has come back and wrapped up everything and it is literally the final day of life on earth. Whatever day that will be, it's not going to be like an exam of how many Bible verses did you get to know off by her. Well, it's, it's, you're all right, Sky, you've passed. It's, it's, that's not, it's not going to be an exam like that. It's not going to be a kind of, oh, I 
wonder if I've remembered enough Bible verses, or I wonder if I've, you know. Anyway, but let's just read. I'm gonna, well, I would like to read just from where we, we touched into last week. Just the context of last week. If anyone's missed the memo, is we have been given till Easter day to get out of here. We haven't done anything wrong, but the school has plans for this place. It doesn't include us, sadly. So we've been, out you go. So that's from the 31st of March. We will not be here. Just on that, what I would like to say is, just imagine from the 31st of March, there was never going to be ever, ever, ever a chance to meet together as the church again. Just imagine. Suddenly from that day, it becomes a capital offense where if you go to worship God together, you're shot. Just imagine that scenario. This is our last seven weeks. This, eight, this is week eight from the countdown starts. Seven weeks. Think of all those people you want to bring to Jesus. Paul, why'd you do this? I know, I just want to make you feel really uncomfortable just for a minute. Think about all those people who you have been praying for. You've never plucked up courage to invite them to church with you. Not saying that church is the only way they're going to meet Jesus, but it's a kind of good place, isn't it? If you want to catch a bus, go to the bus stop. It's my advice. Don't wait in your front room because you, if the bus comes in your front room, you've got a problem. No, I'm just trying to, oh, come on, guys, come with me. So, right, so all those people, why don't you say, right, over the next seven weeks, I'm going to fight them all to church over those seven weeks because we don't know whether we're going to even have a building or anywhere to meet after that. We might be back online. Can you imagine? Just don't quite fit, I don't think, Sky. Oh, out in the... Well, we might do outside, yeah. But English weather's a bit risky, but we haven't ruled it out. Okay, with that, got a real cracking amen. So everyone's going to do that then. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Tough crowd. So, right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because this was the one God spoke to me just a couple of days before we got the letter. I think, no, it was the actual day. So I was reading this in the morning. The actual day we got the letter telling us that we couldn't meet in the school. So we were already praying. We were already sensing that the time here was coming to an end. And I read this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. All right, I thought it was amazing. That, this was the day we then were going to go on and get the letter saying we weren't, coming in, we weren't allowed to come into the school anymore. And yet, so I get this verse, it says, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this tent, for, sorry, for in this tent, and he's talking about our physical bodies, not church buildings, but it spoke to me. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Right, just let me explain. As we get older, our bodies start to become less cooperative, don't they? I said to Josh, what's it? Because he used to be an undertaker. And he was telling me about this, like, 18-stone guy he had to get down from a second-floor flat or something. And I said, what's it like? He's a big guy. I said, what was it like, Josh? And he said, well, they're kind of, like, stiff and uncooperative. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's just what happens, isn't it? We're stiff and uncooperative. Our bodies are stiff and uncooperative until they're completely stiff and uncooperative. But that's what happens. Sorry. I'm not doing well this morning, am I, Pete? <laughs> Digging these massive holes, falling straight in. Are you, uh, you notice people, at, they reach a certain age, and then when they sit down, they go, oh. Or when they get up, they go, oh. It's like, I am never going to do that. If I do that, shoot me. Literally shoot me. Just put me down. Say, Paul, you're past it now. It's over. So he, he's, Paul's saying, listen, our bodies are groaning. They are actually expiring. They're, they're gradually. The thing is, when we're young, we never think they will. We always look at old people as slightly... <laughs> God, look at you. Oh, dear. But we forget that actually we're on the same conveyor belt. It's taking us a day older every day. George is three. He's now completely obsessed with the idea of getting old and dying. He was talking to his great-grandma yesterday, saying, you're old. And then he's sort of pinching her hands and saying, you're wrinkly. You're wrinkly, Nana. And she's just laughing her head off. She said, I don't mind you calling me wrinkly Nana, George. And then, then he says, are you going to die? It's like, well, we had this comment. It went quite a long time in the car about getting old and dying. And I thought, is this one of those ones that he's going to actually remember? Or can I say just any old rubbish? And just Because it was so in-depth. I thought, man, this is like proper theology he wants to know. And I'm like, gosh, he's three. How do you do it? Anyway, but... So our bodies are getting old, and they one day older every day, aren't they? And it happens even to young people. We get old, Autumn. It will happen. So look after yourself now. And But here's the thing. Paul is saying, actually, we're groaning because we're burdened, because we actually want something better. We have an expectation of something better, don't we? When I was... George's age and a bit older, I used to go to my granny's house for tea Sundays and she used to sing and she was like in her 80s. She had this warbly voice and she would sing about the heavenly city and there is a city bright, closed are its gates to sin and I'd listen to her singing and i think, you know, I don't know what I thought really but um, and she would tell me about how sad it was when so-and-so died. And she was Mrs. So-and-so, but before she was married, she was so-and-so. And I'm like... Um, and I remember thinking, this is all another... This is just so far out of my world. It's like 
old people stuff. And we never think it will be us, but then it is. I was talking to Clive the other day, and he's just, another of his friends has just died. And he said, when you get to my age, your friends start kind of dropping. You find you're, you're in a shrinking peer group. It's quite sad, isn't it? And the apostle is obviously, Paul, when he's writing this, is probably younger than I am now, was back then, younger than I am now. And when he's writing this stuff, but he's also conscious that his poor body, we were talking the other day about when they literally were dropping rocks on his head to kill him. Same body. He knows what it, he, he would have been forgiven for getting up and groaning on that occasion, wouldn't he? Because he knew what it was like to literally be despairing of life itself and to be in so much pain that he couldn't help himself, poor guy. Incidentally, if you groan when you get up, I'm not judging you, please. <laughs> Forgive me for saying it. I'm just... Um, and so Paul is saying, we, we have an expectation of something much better. And I think as a young person, it's really easy to not have in mind that concept that actually this life does run out fairly quickly. And actually, we need to be sure of what's going on now and in the future, in the life to come. So Paul is saying that we have this desire to be clothed, to be further clothed, so that what is mortal, that's this thing, may be swallowed up by life. And it's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? It's almost like, wow, that means it's being eaten. This body is literally being eaten and taken over by something that is actually life. Normally being eaten means the end, and that's like, we talk about the jaws of death, don't we? And he's saying, actually, in that moment of, be, of being, this life being over and our mortality kind of winning, it actually loses because we're being swallowed up by life. We're being brought into something completely new and completely glorious that doesn't perish and doesn't get old. And I think my poor granny in her later years, was more conscious of where she was going than where she was coming from. Should I say that again? Because I liked it when I said it. She was more conscious of where she was going to than where she was coming from. And she had a vision of the heavenly city with Jesus being the light of that city. And she was going there. And so verse 6, Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. It's like, yeah, my granny knew that while she was at home in this body, she was away from the Lord. But this and how to Paul twists it. He says, so we are always of good courage. So this is actually his motivation that gets him out of bed in the morning. He's excited about the fact that this isn't all there is. This totally is not, however good it gets, and it does get really good. And there are glorious moments, aren't there, where absolutely, we just literally, we talk about, I am beside myself with joy. The birth of my little grandchild. I have to tell you, there's been two grandchildren in eight days. Josh and V had a little one um, on Friday. It's so cool, two little girls. Isn't that wonderful? So... There are times when our joy is literally overflowing and we can't think of anything that would make us happier. It's just wonderful, isn't it? And you just, oh, man. You hold, I, 
I haven't seen Clementine yet, but when I held little Rosie, I literally could not stop sobbing. I was overcome, but I wasn't sad. I was just, oh, man, so happy. And Paul says, actually, we're always of good courage. And this is, he says, so we know that while we're at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And I've, I've been doing that now since I was about five years old. Walking with a Jesus that I can't see. How many times do you think I've asked him to go on, Jesus? Please, just for me. Show me yourself. Just because just, I hear stories of people who've literally Jesus has come into the room and I'm like, do it for me. Surely you don't love me any less than you love them. Oh, come on. But it is literally walking by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, he says, yes. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So now he's saying, actually, home is really where he is. That's where I want to be. He said, we'd rather be there. So then he says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away... We now talking about football again. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And I was thinking about that. Gosh, it's quite an exciting chapter. And then you get that. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ bit. Now, I have friends who are kind of into theology, and they would tell me, oh, there's two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, which is the end of all things, the judgment of all the earth. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. To be honest with you, I don't have much time for that theory. I think whenever we meet Jesus, we are meeting God himself. When the end of our life has happened whether it's because Jesus has come back and wrapped up everything or because we've died, we're going to stand before him, aren't we? Paul is saying we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's not anticipating going to some kind of holding place for an indefinite period of time. He's expecting to be literally here one day with the Lord the next But there is this sense that he is very aware of, and he talks about it in Romans as well. He says, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of God, and we'll have to give an account of what we've done in this life. And Paul's saying here, he says, we're going to receive what is due for what he has done. For each one of us are going to re receive what is due for what we've done whilst we're in the body. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because he's making this distinction. He's saying... We're in this body, we're groaning because we long for something better. But actually, when we do meet Jesus, there's still going to be some accounting being done. And Jesus tells parables, doesn't he, about the servants and they appear before the master. And he says, I gave you five talents and you've made it ten. Great job, well done. What is that? And I, I started thinking, what is that? actually going to look like because 
Jesus says in John chapter, John chapter 3, he says, the Son of God didn't come into the world to judge the world. Thank you, Forty. Um, let me find it. Uh, where are we? John, John, John. Sorry, one second. He says, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, for God so loved the world, we all know this one, don't we, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, so that we know that Jesus hasn't come to condemn the world and damn us all to hell. That isn't what it's a, why he came. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's really important. That's the important bit of that, that we were saved through him, not through doing good stuff, not through trying really, really hard to be extra good or keeping all of the commandments or all of those things. Verse 18, for whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. I find that an incredibly difficult verse to live with because it sounds like we've got a massive responsibility to be introducing people to Jesus because he is the only way they get to be saved. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So, People have preferred to stay in the dark than come to the light, which is Jesus. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his work has been carried out in God. I don't want to spend a long time thinking about that. I just want to say that there is a judgment there is an end of all things. Every single one of us will stand before God at the end of our lives in some context or other, either in this great white throne thing that some people talk about or just individually before the throne of Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus is the judge. Paul says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This very specific And but if you were, just imagine, you're standing before the judge and you look at, and he says, I, I have to condemn you because of all the failures to keep the commandments. The commandments are clear. You've broken a stack of them. If not an action in your thoughts and so on, you've coveted and blah, blah, blah. Let's just suppose, and then you look at him and you look at his hands and they've got nail scars in them. And you realize that this, this judge has actually paid for every single transgression, every single time we've broken the law of God. This judge is actually paid. This Jesus that we stand before it's actually paid. Can you imagine standing before him and thinking, I don't have to be condemned because he's already paid. But then if we've rejected him all of our lives, we're going to look at him and think, man, he paid. 
And I rejected him all my whole life, and he paid so I could be free. It's insane, isn't it, when we think about it? The judge that we stand before is our advocate. John says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we sin, or when we sin, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? Has anyone stood in court and needed an advocate? They're the ones who defend you, and they argue in your favor. The, the judge that we're going to stand in front of is also our advocate. He's also the one who's arguing in our favor. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone could say, well, they failed, surely it is the righteous one. If anyone could condemn us, it would be one who has never sinned, surely. And yet he's the one arguing for our freedom. I don't think the father needs Jesus to argue with him particularly. I think he can see when we get there that somehow the blood of Jesus has covered us and made us righteous. But he, so Jesus is the judge. He's also the advocate. He's also paid. But actually, more than that, he is the payment. He's the lamb. He's the Passover. He's the lamb of God. John the Baptist said when he looked at Jesus, he said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when we come before this judge and we sing those songs, he's the lion and the lamb. He is the lion. He is the mighty victor. He's also the lamb. He's also the one who has willingly given his life to pay for your sin, my sin. When we come, some Spurgeon, I sometimes get these quotes and memes and things show up on my phone. And there was one from C.H. Spurgeon and he said, the best place to get a, an understanding of sin is at the foot of the cross. If there was no need to save us from anything, if the alternative to heaven was nothing really to worry about, then there's no point Jesus dying, is there? The only thing that makes any sense of the cross and the agonies of Jesus and the past and the Lord's Supper and all of that is that he was giving his life to save us from something, to save us from something into something. So he was giving his life to save us. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there is part of it is going to be about Jesus has paid it all. But I also wonder what Paul meant when he said to, you know, that to receive what is due for the things we've done in this body, whether good or bad. And I just thought it really actually still matters. Even when we're saved and when we know we're saved and we know that Jesus is paid for us, it still matters how we live every day and there is still going to be an accountability dimension for you and me when we stand before the throne of Jesus and we look at him in the eyes I don't think I'm going to give I, I don't I can't imagine I would even have the 
in absurd arrogance to try and give an account for myself. I think when I look at Jesus, I'm just going to be utterly silent. I'm just going to be like, you know everything anyway. You've seen it all. What are we talking about? You've seen it all. You know, you know stuff I don't even know about. You know my hidden thoughts, the ones I would dread anyone to have seen. <laughs> Me thinking. You know them all. But somehow, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in that moment, but surely there's that, that kind of recognition, Jesus. Anything you say is has to be true. Any any decision that is made about me has to be just because you can't do anything else. But it's already decided that we're with him. He's already, when we have put our trust in him, Jesus said, if anyone believes in him, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. I, do, I can't answer the question as to what, what that verse means in 2 Corinthians 5.10. But it does give me pause for thought and it does make me humble and make me want to live in a way that pleases God. Do you know what I mean? But as we come, I, I don't want to terrify everybody and kind of make you all have a bad day. But I just want, want us to think about the way we live now does make a difference. And it is important. And one day we're going to look at Jesus and he'll kind of know and we'll know. And... I just, I, I, I feel like I should make that nicer for everybody, but I feel like it's probably actually right just to leave it with some tension in it and let us go home and reflect on it and this week reflect on it and really throughout our lives reflect on it. Because Paul goes on to say, knowing what it is to fear God. And this is the apostle who introduced the whole concept of justification by faith. He said, it's not by works lest any man should boast. And he says, yet we know what it is to fear God. And so if the apostle who taught grace more than any other knew what it was to fear God, I, I fear him too. And I know I've heard all the preachers say perfect love casts out fear and all of that. Yes, it does. Absolutely. But there's still a tremble in my heart towards him. There's still humility that he sees even the stuff you guys don't see. Wow, what a word. That sure was a challenge for when I heard it the first time and I'm sure a challenge to you. If you'd like someone to pray with, someone to talk to, you know what to do. Connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's the email. Connect at prayerhouse.uk or just DM us. Just send us a direct message on Facebook and Instagram and we'll get in touch with you. And I hope that this is helped you think again of how we live our lives, what we will do when we stand before the judge. And Lord, would you just help us to be great stewards and great disciples who love you every single day. Hey, if you want to find out more about the church, prayerhouse.uk is the website. And if you'd like to support the work of the prayer house and bless us financially, you can do that by going to prayerhouse.uk 
forward slash give. This is where you can give your tithes and your offerings. And why don't we just take a moment to just pray and thank God for his provision. So Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for being the God who provides for us, who gives us everything that we need. And Lord, I pray for everyone who is giving online and is blessing the work of the prayer house. Lord, I pray that their financial gift would be a seed that is sown in good soil that it will expand the kingdom and father that they will it will multiply and they will reap a great harvest financially and they will prosper in jesus name we pray amen hey have a great time and we'll see you again next time thank you